had a couple of people ask me, what's the color of your sweater? And I said, it's the color my wife bought. <laughs> Amen. And open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and we'll start there tonight. I told you we'll start a series on the Master. Um, After the chastening of his little brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the, the boy replied, The pastor said that he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, but I really wanted to stay with you and Mom. Okay. On a Sunday morning after... This sounds like something I've heard before. Okay, I'm just telling you. Okay, not in a joke in a personal context. It says, On a Sunday morning after the preacher had just finished his sermon, he went, sat down next to his wife and asked him, and she asked him how he thought the church service went. And the preacher shrugged, said the worship was excellent, and I think the prayer times went quite well. But he continued, I just don't think the sermon ever got off the ground. His wife looked over him and said, uh, and before she could stop herself, she said, well, it sure did taxi on the runway long enough. <laughs> and... Okay. This is the don't mess with preachers when it comes to money. All right? Okay, it's just the way it is. A pastor and a lawyer were seated next to each other on a flight from L.A. to New York. The lawyer asked if he would like to play a fun game. The pastor, tired, just wants to take a nap, politely declines and rolls over to the window to catch a few winks. The lawyer persists and explains the game is easy and a lot of fun. He explains, I ask you a question. If you don't know the answer, you pay me $5 and vice versa. And uh, again, he declines and tries to get some sleep. The lawyer now agitated, it's okay. If you don't want to answer, you pay $5. And if I don't know the answer, I'll pay you $500. This catches the pastor's attention. And figuring there'll be no end to the torment unless he plays, he agrees to the game. The lawyer asks the first question, what's the distance from the earth to the moon? The pastor doesn't say a word, reaches into his wallet, pulls out a $5 bill, and hands it to the lawyer. Okay, the lawyer says, your turn. He looks at the lawyer and said, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four legs? The lawyer, puzzled, takes out his laptop computer and searches all his references, no answer. He taps into the earphone on the plane with his modem and searches the net in the Library of Congress, still no answer. Frustrated, he sends emails to all his friends and a co-worker to no avail. After an hour, he wakes the preacher and hands him $500. The preach, preacher, pastor says, thank you, and turns back to get some more sleep. The lawyer, who is more than a little miff, wakes the pastor up and asks, well, what's the answer? Without a word, the pastor reaches into his wallet and hands the lawyer $5 and goes back to sleep. <laughs> there, okay. All right. Luke, chapter 1. I mean, excuse me, Luke chapter 8, and we won't start at verse 1. We're going to start at verse 16, okay, because we're only going to do part of it tonight. Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to read from verse 16 down through, let me see here, 21. Luke 18, verse 16. Luke 8, excuse me, bleh. Luke 8, 16 through 21. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it, or putteth it under a bed, 
but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither is anything hid that shall not be known and come, ab- and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whatsoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not shall be taken from him, taking even that which he seemeth to have. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press, and was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. And as we look at this series on the Master, you'll find in verses 16 through 56, four times Jesus is referred to as Master. Okay, not one in our beginning text, but look at verse 24. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. They're on the boat. They're afraid they're going to drown. And he rebukes the wind and the raging water, and he ceased, and there was calm. Okay, and it happens twice. Master, Master. Then if you go to verse 45 of that same chapter, you turn around, and Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied Peter, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee, and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And then verse 49, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. And I want to understand the four times in this text that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks, Jesus is referred to as master. He's referred to it many other times in, in Scripture passes, but we're going to look in this passage. Okay? But the first thing I want you to see, even though it's not in the text I read you, The need is to understand that he is master. Okay, and I can remember back, I got in trouble with this and I, um, when I was a kid, because I grew up in a home, my mother was from North Carolina. She grew up in the the South, in the Old South, and uh, she used to tell me that I was a high yellow, if you don't know what that is. That's somebody who's a mix between black and white, and she says, that's why your nose and your lips are the size they are. Okay, and that's just a comment, and you're saying, well, there's that kind of prayer. No, she meant it sincerely. And so she took very seriously prejudiced answers about things. And I want you to know, I turned around, and for me, before I was saved, that name master was used by slaves. And it was the slave boss. And my mother, one time, when I was young, I got pushed to do my chores. Not when I wanted to, but when my mother said, get them done. And I responded to this southern lady very disrespectfully, and it was not tolerated, because I said, yes, Amasa, whatever you say, Massa. And my head bobbed as it went from one side to the other. She slapped me across the face. And she said, you have no idea what slavery is like and what it hurt, how it hurt people, and that is very disrespectful, and you will not talk to your mother that way, and then wait till your father gets home. So I never did that again, Okay. Now, I want you to understand, we, so many times we forget who Jesus Christ is. Uh, here he's referred to, in the, I said in this passage, the, the chapter, four times as master. And you want to understand really what it means in our lives? A prophecy given to us, and it was read back at Christmas time, and that's Isaiah 9, 6. For his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what it means for him to be the master in our lives. And you come full circle with it. If you look up the background of the word, it means Lord. It means chief over. Okay? 
It means commander. He's the master. It means teacher, guide. It means overseer. It's the ship's pilot who gives the direction, and it's the ship's captain. And all of them fit quite nicely into Isaiah 9-6 when you think about those words and what it means in our lives. And tonight we're going to start and see where Jesus, who is the master of all things, because you've got to remember, in him we both live and move and have our being, okay? You, you breathe because of him. And the first thing I want you to see, and one of the most important things we need to understand, is he's the master of our relationships, the master of our relationships, okay? I want you to turn to John 13. This is what is called a declarative statement. And so when Jesus declares something, is that something we should question? Now, he uses it in teaching, but in John 13, verse 13, Jesus says, Ye call me master, John 13 and verse 13, You call me master and Lord, and ye say, Well... For so I am. He's whether you like it or not. He's your Lord. He's the master. He's the creator God of the universe. And by him all things were created. And by him all things what? You aren't alive as a lost person without Jesus Christ working. Okay. I was reading some articles on it, you know, and I listened to this uh, it was some type of debate, and they had a scientist who was, he refuted, it was a debate, and he refuted evolutionists and quoted all these different people who are not Christian, don't believe in creation, and how they point back to the need with the Big Bang, which is they're all accepting something happened at one moment. It was a Big Bang behind uh, the beginning of the universe, and they said that cannot happen without orderly design. It doesn't happen by accident. Even Stephen Hawking's, as he has to type it on his thing or whatever, has to squawk it because the guy can't hardly talk. No, no, supposed to be one of the greatest minds. And he listed, for 15 minutes, he's listed scientists who tried to refute creation and had to come back and say, well, we don't believe in creation. But there had to be orderly design behind the beginning of the universe. Otherwise, because they said, if the earth was four degrees out of its orbit and where we are right now no life something as simple as that and he listed about 40 of these things and i saved that so i can go back and listen to it because it refutes from a scientific standpoint the accident that people who don't want to believe in god try to claim is how they started but you need some he's the master of the universe He's also the master of your relationship. As we look in verse 16, and we read down through there in chapter 8, and he turns around and he tells them certain things about their family. And say, so I want you to know, you know what it comes down to? There's nothing, I don't know what that is. Something fell over. But there's nothing hid from your master. We can hide it from each other. We can hide it from our family members. We can hide it from the world. We can hide it from other Christians. But we can't hide it from who? God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And neither is there any other creature 
that is not what? Manifest, okay, in a sight. For all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hid, okay? You better take heed with him, what he says. Turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, just two verses quickly. Look at verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. How many times have we said something to somebody else about somebody, but we didn't want the person we were talking about to hear it? God heard it. There's nothing hid from him. Look at verse 11 in the same psalm. Let me see. Yes. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, what? Even the night shall be light about me. I've got to try something. I was, uh, Mark Behay sent it to me. And you know how the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all? And I didn't want to take time to do it tonight. But you notice you see the flag there. There's a shadow behind it against the wall. And he turned around and he says, if you can get a long enough match or you can even do it with a lighter that has a flame and you hold it up there and you know what there's a shadow of? There's a shadow of the lighter. There's a shadow of the match. But there's no shadow of the flame. Because in him is no darkness at all. And something as simple as that. He brings everything to light, even the hidden things. Okay? So nothing is secret from him. So you're told here, okay, nothing, for nothing is secret, verse 17, that shall not be made what? Manifest. Nor anything hid that shall not be made known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. You understand? You know, Psalm 90 and verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before, before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. You say, what that has to do with our relationships? You know what normally happens? In a relationship, somebody gets offended. Okay? And we get offended because generally because either one or both are not doing it God's way. Me included. When Judy and I have a problem, she's wrong. Any of you got an extra room I could use tonight? Because I'm wrong. Okay, I've told many a man, even when you're right, you're wrong in the way you present it. Okay, because you didn't do it in light of how it was going to be received, so the relationship suffers. I failed at that many times. How many are you willing to be honest about that? Okay, so are you the master of your relationships? No, he is. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his shall be at peace with him. And so he says, take ye here, you know, verses 14 and 15, for that which fell among the... Excuse me. 14 and 15, I want to have you look at something. What you got here is the context of no man hath lighted a candle in verse 16 and put it on, you know, covered it in a vessel or put it under a bed. The context is the parable of the seed and the sower. Do you realize that? The seed and the sower. Why is that important? Because what you do, it tells us that the seed is the word of God. And you know what Jesus is trying to teach here? Is the word of God what you're hearing? Is it what you see? 
Is it the master over your choices? I didn't write this. You know, so many people, you know, I've heard someone say, well, we're a Christ-centered ministry. Yes, we are. But you know what we are? We're a ministry based off the absolute word of God. And you can't get away from it. Turn to John, you're going to come back to Luke 8. Turn to John chapter 12. We're getting close to the end. We're not there yet. John chapter 12. Watch. John chapter 12, verse 46. I am come a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in what? Don't stay there. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to... He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Not Jesus, but what? The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Ooh. Are you listening? Are you listening? Verse 11 of our text in Luke 8 says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear and cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. On the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked. When you read the other passages on that i believe the second or the, the third and fourth are possibly saved you say that f- third one is because it talks about him becoming unfruitful so that means they had a fruit at some point and i look at this demas was mentioned in the letters the epistles the apostle paul in the salutations at the end of the letters and a couple of them it says it gives demas na- his name that he's saluting them and it, toward the end of paul's life he says demas hath forsake me having lo- love this present world are you listening to that? That's what fell among the thorns. For they which when have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But on that good ground are they which have an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit unto patience. Or bring forth fruit with patience. So I look at that and I'm going, okay. If he's the master of our human relationships. You know what he teaches us? Every one of our human ones is temporary. It's the eternal ones that are important. Howard and I have said many times we're closer in this church than we are to many of our family. Okay? You can be that way if you're willing. In any family, there can be disagreements, but you're still family. Okay? And I look at that, you know, and he's turning around and he says, Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And so Jesus said, Get out of the way. That's my mama. I'm going to her. No. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without and desiring to see thee. They're saying, Jesus, don't you understand? Your mother and your brethren are waiting to see you. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are they which what? Hear the word of God and do it. So he didn't give, and although he provided for his mother at the cross, didn't he? 
If you think about that, when it came time and Jesus in His suffering, after suffering the torment of hells of hell for six hours on the cross, looks at His mother and looks at the Apostle John and says, John, behold thy mother. And to His mother, behold thy son. Making sure that she was taken care of. But the most important thing with that, okay, is that spiritual relationship. i got a question. If there's a greater value on, in eternity than being born into a physical family, your lineage, your name, etc., there's people who let their lineage, their background, the mess that they came out of, they let it hold them in there. And they, you know, people get frustrated. They get mad at the sinful nature of their parents or grandparents or whatever it is, and they let that hold them. Instead of rejoicing, I talked with someone today, I was uh, counseling with someone today, and I said, I know what you've been through, look at this, Now I want you to tell me and rehearse in my, your, your, my ears the blessings you had and what God has given you in your life as you decided to follow him. Tears started coming and started, things started coming out, and all of a sudden it was, even though my father wasn't there, my heavenly father loves me. We have to think about those things. You're born into a physical family. You have a lineage, but that doesn't mean that's who you have to be. Okay? Turn to John chapter 3. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know that they have these... <laughs> um, so-called rebirthing processes that psychologists use. Okay? And they wrap them all up in a sheet and they hold them in there and they make them fight to get out of that so they can go through the fight of being born. So now they know that they can have a new, new life. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a modality used in certain psychology practices. Don't believe me? Ask Pastor. No. <laughs> Look it up. Okay, so he turns around with this and he said to the man be born. He says, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? The, the point is, he's thinking of physical birth. Jesus answered, verily, verily, say unto thee, if a man, except a man be born of water. Physical birth, not baptism. Don't let some guy writing a commentary get you to think it is. The context tells you what's going on. Okay. Born of water and of the Spirit cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, physical birth, water birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said you must be, what? Born again. It's more important your spiritual family and your eternal family. Now you can't have it without physical birth, can you? But which one has longer lasting value? So, so many times we put the emphasis on the wrong part. 
And I'm sorry. Uh, I lost some of my family for a lot of years because I was saved. My wife can attest to that. My father threatened to shoot me. And it wasn't until 10 years later or longer that I got to lead him to the Lord. And when he threatened me in front of my neighbor listening to the, and out her windows, because she was a, she's gone, she's passed away now, claimed to be saved, but she was a busybody. She's listening and my father's yelling at me and telling me I have half a mind to shoot you. And I said, you get between me and Jesus, you lose. You get between my wife and me, you lose. You get between me and my kids, you lose. Dad, you can come ahead of me, but you don't come ahead of them. So if you've got to shoot me, go ahead. Because I'm going to heaven and you're going to split hell wide open. He was so mad. If I wasn't bigger than him, he'd smack me across the face. He got in his truck and he drove away. My parents' marriage came apart within a year after that. And then three and a half years later, I led him to the Lord. But you know what the most important part was? My spiritual family. Okay? Because Jesus got to come first. Seek ye first the... And his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. Luke chapter 8 and verse 21, and he, Jesus, that's he, and he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are they which hear the word of God and what? I made a note to myself, expound on this, but you know what? I really don't need to, do I? Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And all God's people said, good night and God bless.